So we've been doing PJ's Priority Passages. Today, the sermon is titled, Worship, Wasted or Wanting? And I always try to put out some kind of a controversial little subtitle or byline there to get you interested in in what we're really trying to key in on. And so hopefully that gets you there, right? Wasted or wanting. Um, Let me ask a question. Are you feeling spiritually restored because of this sermon series? Nine times out of ten, what happens and what we've created is just the opportunity for you to come listen to a lecture. It's not meant to change your life. You're just meant to sit there, form a, 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 a small pool of drool on the side of your mouth, and gloss over, and then get ready to stand up and sing in about a half hour. Uh, but God help us if it were to actually transform our lives into living productively, spiritually healthy living before God. And that's what this sermon series is about. And so let me list some of the things we've talked about. Number one, faith. All right, we've talked about how faith is desperately important to spiritual renewal. Um, Purpose, people of purpose. That when it comes to having a spiritually healthy and, and fulfilling life, we have to understand what our purpose is. Uh, how many of you remember the two-part series on sin, right? Entropy or excuse, right? Or excuse entropy. We did a sermon series, or we did a sermon on feelings. That made it into the top ten. Nothing more than feelings. For those of you that are over 60 years old and know that song. Uh and just the odd dynamic that we would, I would say that feelings would be in the top 10 things that I would want to share and, and talk with someone if the apocalypse were happening in 10 weeks. How do you restore spiritually? Because so much of what we do and so many of the changes, good or bad, or choices, good or bad, in our life are predicated off of what? Feelings. And I can test you right now on this. How many of you had a great week this week? Raise your hand. All right, some of you had a great week. How many of you had a really hard week? Raise your hand. Okay, now both of you on both ends of the, set, the, the spectrum, is that based off of how you feel about your week? And based off how you feel about your week, how does it dictate your worship today? Right? Are we so immersed and distracted and worn out or just so over the top excited that one degree or the other truly affects our ability to worship the Lord? We're going we're gonna to talk about that. Uh, we talked about discipline and the need for discipline. Uh, we talked about heaven and how important heaven is in this. We talked about loving it or listing it. God's, God's faithful believers or disciples remaining faithful to him right and so then last week we talked about what the church is what the church is and what the church isn't and so my question to you is when we look at all those things every aspect of what we've talked about already leads into worship all of those components that we've talked about so far that we have studied for spiritual renewal or revitalization those things all factor into worship And so I'm going to ask you a few questions, but let's go before the Lord to guide us in our thinking today. Father, 
Open our eyes. Open the eyes of our heart. Let your spirit and your word speak mightily. Um, Speak to the individuals that are in front of me, the brothers and sisters in Christ, those that had a great week, those that had a, a difficult week. Let your spirit speak to them and encourage them, edify them, lift them up with words from your scripture. Let us worship in spirit and in truth. Amen. So, think about this. Why is worship part of the series? I would say this. Man has inherent purpose in two distinct ways. One is to love. Two is to worship. There's a lot of other componentry that goes on in our lives, but one is to love. It is what drives every aspect of of the joy and intentionality and purpose in life. And obviously, as those who are believers in Jesus Christ, we look at Scripture and we see that His expectation is, right? Jesus Himself says, the greatest commandment is that you what? You love the Lord your God. Not acknowledge, right? Not necessarily um, tithe. Not not that we necessarily um, can do a a, a great uh, biblical defense of the gospel. All of those are good things. But Jesus was very specific. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then take advantage of your neighbor. Right? No. No. Love your neighbor. See, Jesus was speaking to that which God has inherently designed within each person in a divine way. Now, that's one purpose or one of the inherent purposes. The second, I think, is worship. And if we look at ourselves or we look at the people around us, we can see this, can we not? That we worship something. We have this desire to be devoted and we'll hit synonyms here in a minute so we can clarify what worship is but we have this desire to be devoted to something whether you believe in god or not you have a a a pattern of life right um i i've met individuals that are passionate about bowling have you ever met someone passionate about bowling right you think if you've been around here for a while you, you you remember raleigh and gene peters is that who you're thinking of dave yep passionate about bowling. Raleigh was passionate about golf. And I remember the first year I was here, Raleigh took me out over to uh, Pittsburgh where he was a marshal. Now, many of you don't know Raleigh. Raleigh was maybe 90 pounds wet when I first met him and a heart of gold and loved the Lord tremendously. And uh, he had to carry around an oxygen tank because he had contracted polio as a young man. So he was on oxygen. So here's this guy that takes me out golfing with an oxygen tank on him. And I'm thinking, yeah, Raleigh, are you sure you're okay? The very first time I went, are you sure? You know, let's scoot up a little bit. And he just looked at me and laughed. And he outgolfed me. He outgolfed me. A gopher could outgolf me. So we have this inherent desire to worship. It's just what do we worship? What do we devote ourselves to? Here's some thoughts for you. An unavoidable absence from worship is an infallible evidence of spiritual malnutrition. Let's think through that. Let me say it one more time. An 
I'm sorry, an avoidable absence from worship, an avoidable absence from worship is an infallible evidence of spiritual malnutrition. Here's our opening thought this morning, and we'll conclude with this as well. Ready? Spiritual and truthful worship leaves you wanting more. Here we go. Here's the title, right? So spiritual and truthful worship leaves you wanting more. Wasted worship leaves you uninterested and spiritually lethargic. Only the devotion of the heart can transform the latter into the former. So as we examine this this morning and and thinking through, why would this be one of the top ten things for us to get right? It's because every moment of every day we choose to worship something. And when we, when we give over our hearts in devotion or honor or adoration to those things that are insufficient, can you see the linkage to how it would affect our heart? When we continue to place our trust into those things that will continually fail us or are not worthy of our devotion or adoration, then it continually dictates our life. So for those of you that had a hard week, how do you get through a week when you are just up against it nonstop? And tomorrow doesn't look any better than it's going to look today. As a matter of fact, you dread going to work tomorrow. How on earth do you face that? Worship throughout every moment is what makes you rise above your circumstance. So how many of you, when you think about worship, you're just thinking about what Joe and Marianne do? up here because we've titled music worship and a de facto problem with that it is worship but a de facto problem with that is that we then relegate worship to singing how many of you hate singing go ahead raise your hand you just weren't blessed with the ability to sing you won't raise your hand will you i know you won't raise your hand but i know who you are i'm going to call you out you ready here no see a lot of you got nervous right there I get it. There's there's some people that God hasn't put that passion to sing in your heart. And when the sound of music comes on TV, you find a good Russian novel to go read. Right? So singing isn't necessarily the end-all, be-all to worship. Let's explore what that means, wasted or wanting in worship. So an interesting concept about worship that goes outside of scripture. Uh, The word thug. You guys know the word thug? Right? Thug life, whatever. Right? You're going to be amazed at where this word came from, the etymology of this word. So the word thug comes from a secret society in India. Sujana, did you know that? You guys own thug. All right? So... (laughs) The word thug comes from a secret society in India that would murder and commit robbery in the name of their patron goddess, Kali. Okay? Every act of violence was preceded by worship and followed by a portion of the goods laid in the temple as an act of devotion. And so to that, we say, what a waste. Have you ever thought that worship for some people can be, be resulting in evil, actually? 
The concept of worship is simply this idea of devotion or adoration. As a matter of fact, let me give you some synonyms here. When we talk about worship, we can, in some ways, redefine that word or give clarity to that word based off of how it's used in Scripture to glorify, okay, or to adore or devote or praise or honor or serve. Let me give you just some of the definitions. I'm not going to give you the Greek words. You guys know I'm... I'm that's not my favorite thing is to give you a word in a foreign language that nobody uses and you're not going to remember it anyway so and i'm probably going to mispronounce it so i'm just going to tell you what the difference is okay so uh i actually i'm gonna i'm gonna give some of these words so romans 12 1 your spiritual act of worship some of you are familiar with one in romans 12 1 and 2 right that word in greek is uh latreia liturgical latria we get transpositional thoughts from this word it simply means acts of service to god so the the thuggery part of that would would be this concept of the greek word latria uh sebo okay this word is where we're going to be today in john 4 and revelation 4. it is to adore uh, to revert uh, to revere or devotion actually uh, that's not where we're going to be primarily that's acts 18 13 um, where you can see the idea of um, those that had gathered in worship and were being criticized for their worship and there's even a word for worship to idols okay there's another word that we would read in our bible just as worship but there's a different word in the Greek, which means giving my devotion to an object, right? My phone is sitting there, but you know, if I were to use the Greek word for the kind of worship and devotion we do to our phones, I would use that Greek word. The one we're gonna look at mostly today is uh, proskuneo, and it's to kiss. Some of you are really interested now, okay? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw you a loop here to kiss like a dog now you're interested right to kiss like a dog and let me finish his master's hand all right in our house my poor dog he comes up and, and is constantly wanting to lick our hands and we're constantly rejecting my dog now i know why he looks so sad after doing this study is he's giving adoration he's giving he's giving uh proskuneo right in the greek this idea of, of to prostrate oneself, adoration, submission, um, to kiss like a dog the master's hand. And this is the word worship out of John 4 and Revelation 4. Calvin Coolidge said this. He was our 30th president. He says, it is only when men begin to worship that they begin to grow. That's a, a, a very astute and deep-reaching statement. It's only when men worship, begin to worship that they begin to grow. Here's some key questions for us today. Do you think that worship is only our time of singing? So we've already brought that one up. Number two, how do you worship throughout the day? Is that part of your lifestyle? How do you worship throughout the day? And some of us would instantly, you know, start to evaluate that with listening to Caleb while we're driving around in our car singing songs. 
That's how we worship. I'm going to challenge you that, yes, that is worship. That's better than listening to talk radio. But what we're talking about today is so much more than that. Um, What does worship look like in your life? Think through that concept. What does worship look like in your life? Is worship for you or for God? In other words, who's the benefactor of your worship? Is it being done for God to be pleased, or is it being done so that I enjoy the experience? We have ma- yes, we have many churches that that over the past decade have really tipped the scales to the me-centered worship experience. And that it is evaluated off of how many people are are fully enveloped passionately and emotionally and, and proclaiming greatly the music. Now, that is that's fantastic, but the evaluation part is all wrong. The evaluation part should be, is God pleased with that worship? Is God pleased? with that worship and there's going to be some things you're going to hear this morning in just a moment that are going to help you wrestle with that question uh lastly is worship an obligation or opportunity in your life is worship an obligation or opportunity in your life sometimes i can look at a teaching such as this about worship and say oh this is what i should be doing does that sound like i'm looking at it as an opportunity or as an obligation an obligation but that's how our minds often think I should be reading my Bible I should be praying um, I should be doing acts of service see the enemy wants us to look at all of those things as obligations and when we do we actually lose what's called the heart of worship where all of those things are done because we are wanting to pursue those opportunities does that make sense we are wanting to pursue those worshipful moments with god that means we have to cultivate that heart within ourselves so let's get to it first samuel 15 is where i want to go to we're going to look at the idea of wasted wasted worship well what does that mean so this story out of the old testament is about the first king of israel king saul and he was asked to go uh, basically conquer over the Amalekites. And many of you have heard this story that he goes ahead and conquers over the Amalekites, but he doesn't do everything that God wants done. He saves a little for himself on the side. And in his own mind, he justifies being able to do that. And you're going to hear why. This is a beautiful demonstration. When Saul actually speaks uh, after Samuel um, rebukes him, you hear a beautiful, proper kind of confession from Saul. But this is wasted worship. So what's happened is Samuel has walked up. He's already had discourse with Saul saying, what'd you do? (laughs) What? This is not what you were asked to do. Some of it you got right, but a whole other part is not the heart of worship. 
and put put a put a halt slow your row when it comes to your sacrifices here Saul because God is not pleased so I'm gonna pick it up in verse 22 of first Samuel 15 and Samuel said has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord behold to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams for rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord he has also rejected you from being king this one action cost Saul the crown and if you study the rest of the story of King Saul it all goes downhill from here and it was because he did not have the heart of worship. He wasted, he put up a sacrifice, but it was offered out of obligation. It was offered as a backhanded kind of slap without the devotion, without the proper adoration. Because what Saul did is he acted selfishly to something God had granted to him and commanded him and decided that he would supplant God's intended purpose or part of that intended purpose for his own purpose. Do you feel honored when someone close to you treats you that way? Do you feel respected? Do you feel loved when somebody gives you a portion of their heart? When somebody goes out, ladies, when your man takes you out for dinner, okay? takes you to your favorite restaurant he actually shaved he smells good he bathed he's doing great right and then you're sitting there and and he got you a great table and he even orders your favorite food this is Saul and then he pulls out his phone and starts checking scores this too is Saul did I do a good job in helping you understand and so Samuel comes to him and says, what have you done? Don't even bother sacrificing. The heart of God is that you obey rather than just do worthless, wasted sacrifices. This is a per perfect picture of what it means to waste our worship. God wants purposefulness and purity in what we bring to him. He wants our hearts. And so listen to, I set you up, so listen to what Saul says. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. When we confess, we never start with that. <laughs> right? We usually start with, well, here's why I did what I did. I mean, at least Saul gets this nailed down. He just starts right away with, I have sinned. I have sinned. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. Because now he says why he sinned. He speaks to his own weakness. He says, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. This is worship. Being honest with God, leaving no stone unturned because he is preeminent and satisfying the Almighty and treating him as holy and worthy of a respectful and honoring response is what true worship is. Does that connect for you? Saul got it. He got it in the moment. Now he got it too late, 
but he got it in the moment. Jesus speaks to this in Matthew 15 as well. And uh, he says, they, he quotes Isaiah, the, the prophet Isaiah. He honor, they honor me with their what? Their lips, but their heart is far what? From me. And he's speaking to how the Pharisees and the religious leaders who are doing all the sacrifices and conducting all the ceremonies, that they're just doing it out of routine or obligation or for show. Their heart is nowhere close to being involved in true worship, in true adoration. And Jesus uses Isaiah's quote because people continually struggle with this, but he does it to admonish, just like Samuel admonishes Saul, he does it to admonish the Pharisees and say, you say great things with your lips, but your actions in your heart, right? Women, one of the best ways that you can demonstrate adoration or devotion to your guy is respect. And when there's a hidden agenda or, uh, and this is both for, for men and women, but, but guys really respond to respect. And so when there is a, an acknowledgement of something that they have accomplished or done or, or sacrificed for, when you acknowledge that, when you give acknowledgement to it from your heart, makes a man sore. And that's much like our relationship with God, that when we see what God has done around us that is worthy of praise, right? That when we give that praise from our heart, it is a sweet aroma to him. But Saul didn't get that. The Pharisees didn't get that. So wasted worship is worship out of obligation. It's, it's religiosity, right? It's um, Jesus himself says in his message to the seven churches he says that you know I, I want you either hot or cold be one or the other but if you're gonna play it in between that's not worship and it actually makes me feel repulsed by you and that's not what we want in our relationship with our master so what about wanting turn to John chapter 4 and let's give the contrasting idea here John chapter 4 and we're going to look at the woman at the well. And many of you have heard this passage before, and we're going to just, we're not going to look at the whole conversation between them, but we're going to obviously look at the part where Jesus is dialoguing with the Samaritan woman, and that's kind of a whole different thing in and of itself. But because she realizes his wisdom, she goes for broke and asks him an age old question which is, hey, you know, since I perceive that you're wise, <laughs> since I perceive that you're a prophet, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maximize my time with you, Jesus. Uh, there's this age-old debate, and you can just put it to rest right now. Our fathers say that we need to worship here in Samaria, Samaritans, here at the well of Jacob. This is where worship should happen. The Jews say that we need to worship down at the temple. Which one should we be doing? And Jesus comes in with this great discourse where he says there's a time coming. Hasn't happened yet, but a time is coming where it's not going to matter about Jacob's well. It's not going to matter about the Western Wall or, or the temple because worship will be an interactive moment-by-moment -moment experience through the Holy Spirit. 
And you cannot engage on that level with any sense of falsehood. So now that I've surmised that, let's read it. So let me have us look at 19 through 24. 19 through 24. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is speaking or seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus just spelled it out, right? For those of us that are wanting to have worship, we want to get it right. We want to satisfy the one who deserves our worship, who pines for our worship, who deserves and is worthy of our worship. Why would we not want to satisfy him? And so what the conditions are that Jesus says, look, God's going to be completely satisfied, but not by worshiping in a building, not by worshiping in a location, not by worshiping out of obligation, not through... Uh, consecrated ceremony but in spirit and in truth and what Jesus is speaking of is that his work realized on the cross right his atoning sacrifice and salvation offered to all men through the cross and through the resurrection that then the day of Pentecost comes and Jesus promised I'm going to leave but I'm sending you one who was what who was it that Jesus was going to be sending? I can't hear you from where you are. Holy Spirit, thank you. You guys are so far away from me. I feel like I'm at the pavilion right now. Um, yes, the Holy Spirit. And so when we commit in faith to a life in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 1 tells us that then we are gifted the Holy Spirit. And then that means that we have this continual presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. So do we have to go somewhere to practice worship? No, worship is continual. It should always be a stem of our natural process and interaction with the Holy Spirit. Amen? So in, in looking at that, another way to, to think through it, and, and we'll just reference this, but in Revelation 4, 9 through 11, you have the picture of the throne room of God that is a vision that God gives to John. And that same word, by the way, the word worship there that, that she was using and that Jesus used was this idea of adoration, of a dog kissing the hand of the master, right? It, it's not stoic worship. It is... Uh, for a little bit of an archaic word, it's felty, it's, it's devotion, it's heartfelt adoration. And I feel that sometimes that is missing so much in our lives. It's like getting married but only under a business contract. 
and I, I'm not sure I've met the person that really, I know that there are some that want to do that, but I think most of us gathered today here certainly hopes that there is love and adoration and devotion and respect and honor that are at the forefront of your relationship with your husband or your wife. In that same vein or that same tenor, that is proper worship to God through the Holy Spirit. And where where we speak to the issue of truth, Jesus says it's not just the Spirit, it's truth as well, that there has to be that picture of what Saul went through. When you go to have engaged worship with the Lord, look, all of us struggle every day. So just be in that continual process of confession. When you are worshiping with him, have the conversation, have the dialogue about how he's worthy, I'm not worthy, but that his grace is sufficient, right? His grace and mercy are able to look beyond my failures because Jesus stands in that gap for me, amen? And so because of that, I have access to the Father, Scripture says. I am free to enter into the throne room of God, uh, Scripture says. And so because of that, I am free to worship even in spite of my failures. But where I get submerged and I start to lose worship and I have wasted worship is when I disregard the choices I've made that dishonor my Father in heaven. And I just go running into the throne room. Right? So that's where the truth part comes in. Saul, what's the bleeding of the sheep that I hear? Right? Saul, you did all this part right, but God's, God doesn't want just meaningless sacrifice. He wants devotion from the heart connected to worship. That's what leaves you wanting more because then God, and watch this, when it's right, God interacts with you. That's where you start to have the reciprocation where worship then has this effect on us and our spirit. And we engage with Him. And that then leaves us, now we get to have full appreciation of the sermon title, that leaves me wanting more. Right? That leaves me wanting more. So for me, this morning, the challenge is to look and say, am I spiritually healthy? Well, how do I feel about worship day in, day out? Is a great way for me to evaluate, am I spiritually healthy? And then if, if I look at it and I say, yes, I want to worship Him in the hard times, in the good times, in the absolutely ambivalent times, right? Where I just don't feel like anything. Anybody have that week? You just want to numb out? Because you just don't have anything left in the tank, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's those moments for me that are the hardest to worship. And yet I will tell you every time that I have taken the moment to worship him in the midst of being too centered on myself, too centered on my problems, too centered on my difficulties, when I start to worship him, in spirit and in truth, suddenly those problems don't seem important anymore. They're still there, but my heart is overwhelmed with who my God is. My heart starts to understand and starts to control my thinking about who really is in charge of all that's going on. And it leaves me wanting more and wanting more, right? When it comes to this, I always think of Turkish Delight. Anybody remember that from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? 
and just that addictive stuff. I have that with a cafe mocha and a lemon loaf from Starbucks. It's just a hard habit. I mean, I don't even have to order. I, I just pull up and they just say, pull to the window, right? I have a great relationship with my baristas. And so every once in a while, I'm like, okay, don't go, because you need to see if you're just too addicted to this stuff. And if I start jonesing and breaking out in a cold sweat as I'm getting within a mile of Starbucks drive-through, I know something's wrong, right? That, that my physical body, my mental, my emotional body is depending on something that's gonna let me down eventually. It's not truly gonna speak to the things I need God to speak to. So let's just keep driving, Jeremy, and let's keep praying, and let's keep giving worship to God. You know what, about, about 10 feet past that Starbucks, I'm just fine. And as a matter of fact, the more I'm focused on the Lord, the better I am, and the more wanting I am of Him rather than these things that create a bad dependency in my life. Obviously, there are much more important things than the illustration I gave you, but that was a safe illustration for everybody. What does worship look like? In finishing this morning, let me give you some words that hopefully you've already heard, but kind of wrap this up. The idea of devotion, that God wants the heart involved, right? that David spoke about the idea of you do not want sacrifices, but you want a clean heart. My sacrifice is pointless to you without the heart being correct. Adoration. This word adoration is, is the concept that we hear out of the throne room where they love and adore the presence of God in their life. Consideration. How often have we heard from people that end up in tension with us that that tension happens because we just weren't considerate of what they were thinking or what their expectations were. That if I'm not considering what God's desire is in my life, then how can I worship Him? Submission. How can I worship a God when I put myself in the throne? When I seat myself in God's throne and I say, I am God, I will do what I choose, what I prefer. I cannot have worship with him. So submission is key. Prayer, seeking him, praising him, serving, fasting, proclaiming him. All of this can happen without us singing. But it most certainly should be happening while we're singing. Amen? Amen. Alexander Patterson Smith penned over a hundred years ago these words about worship. To worship God is to make him the supreme object of our esteem and delight, both in public and in private or secret. And I leave you today with this thought, spiritual and truthful worship leaves you wanting more. Wasted worship leaves you uninterested and spiritually lethargic. Only the devotion of the heart can transform the latter to the former. Let me close in prayer. Father, you give us all good things and that we would recognize it and enter into a constant state of praise can only be good for us. I give you praise this morning that in the midst of challenging circumstances, so many have stepped up to make it possible for us to gather together. That our time and our devotion together is really a testimony to you and you drawing us together. We give recognition to your holiness. 
We give recognition to your spirit moving within us to love one another and to love to gather that we might in a community raise our voices to you, pray together, encourage one another, edify one another in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for these words. Let them uh, encourage us to proper and worthy worship that leaves us wanting more and more rather than wasting a partial offer. To you be all glory, Father. Amen.